This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. Hey, how many of you are excited to be here today? Hey, how many of you love Erie, Pennsylvania? All right, that's a better response than the nine o'clock, just saying. Like, I love, I love this city. In fact, I've lived here. I wasn't born here, but I've lived here now longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life. And I, I love Erie. It's okay to love Erie. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I love Erie. Go ahead, just do it. Just look him in the eye, make it weird, and say, I love Erie. I love Erie. I love, I love Presque Isle. Presque Isle is awesome. Presque Isle is even better when there are no advisories and you can actually get in the water. That's a good time. I love, I love the sea wolves. I love the otters. I love the bayhawks. I love, I love people watching at Waldemere. That's a party right there. That's awesome. I love people watching at the Erie Speedway. I love going out and just, just sitting in the parking lot and watching the fights happen at Erie Speedway. And that's just the ladies going at it at the Erie Speedway. I love it. I love it. I love, I love Mighty Fine Donuts. Praise Jesus for some Mighty Fine Donuts. But I might love H&K better. All right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm just saying. Like, where else can you go in the world that one week it's like 72 degrees and sunny, and the next day, literally, we've had like 32 and snow? Like, I, I, love, I love this city, and I'm excited about what God's doing in and through this church in the city. I'm pumped up about it because this church exists to glorify God. It really does, and to elevate his name, but we also exist for the good of this city. And so that's what we're talking about in this series called Until Jesus Runs This Town, that we commit to do everything that we can to to give purposefully, to, to serve faithfully, and to share relentlessly the good news that we have in Christ until he runs this town. And today, we're going to kind of uh, help set this up with some statistics. All right, I want to show some statistics on the screen. The first one is this. In this county, Erie County, there are over 290,000 people that live here, all right? 290,000 people. Translation, you know, you don't have to look very far to find someone that needs to find the hope of Christ. You really don't. They're just, they're everywhere around us. But if you zoom out, even 150 miles from here, you find Erie is right smack in the middle between Buffalo, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh, and they are in these areas, 7,291,475 people. That's just the population of those three cities. So in total, around where we are, there's over 7.5 million people in a 150-mile radius of where we live. Like, that's, that's amazing. I think we need to expand our idea of what 
missions looks like. Like you don't have to buy a plane ticket and go to some remote place around the world that you've never been to before. Like there are people right here in like distance for us to reach out. Like God has literally brought the world to us. In fact, even the Canadians come down here to Erie like to buy clothes and stuff. They come by the bus loan. But I think we need to have a new idea of of missions, that we're on a mission, like right here where we live. You don't have to look very far to find people who need Jesus. And let me give you one more statistic. In this county alone, if there are 290,000 plus people on a good Sunday, all right? Like maybe Christmas or Easter, there will be 60,000 people in church. 60,000 on a good Sunday. That's a conservative estimate, too. There'll be 60,000 people in church. So that means 230,000 people aren't connected to Christ. 230,000 people, you know, that, that could be far from God. We don't have to look very far. And if you are a follower of Jesus, like you have a call on your life to join in the search and share Jesus Relentlessly. In fact, if you want to write that down, that's the title of today's message. We're going to share Jesus relentlessly. It's a foundational value of this church. It's one of the things this church has been built on because from cover to cover, there's just no getting around it that, that God has a mandate on those who follow Jesus to share the good news of the gospel. In fact, um, in, in the beginning of the gospels in Mark Mark chapter one, the very beginning of Mark, it says this, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, followers fish. If you're gonna follow Christ, you need to know how to fish. Mark 16, 15, uh, just at the end of his gospel, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Like, that's our job. We have a responsibility. Now, as soon as I say that, you're thinking, all right, well, I know what this is going to be about. This is going to be about evangelism. Yes, that we have a responsibility to do that. And the pushback is this. Well, Colby, I, I want to come to church on Sunday, and I want you to, to, to preach, you know, something, teach me something that's going to help me, that's going to make my life better, something that, that I need. Or people will say this all the time. Maybe you've heard this. I just, I want, I want something deep. Give me deep, which, which means, you know, I want to leave here and go, that was deep. I have no idea what he said, but that was deep, right? You want deep? Don't just learn the Bible. Live the Bible. Like, that's deep. That's the deepest thing that you're going to hear. Don't just learn it, right? Live it. The people who are far from God, that are drowning, that need rescued, they don't need to know the Greek word for life raft. They just need you to throw them one, all right? So that's the goal. And there's really no way of getting around this topic, that we are called to share Jesus relentlessly. Because when he saves you, when he rescues you, he embeds within you, this, in your spiritual DNA, this desire to point people to the same Savior who saved you. So I want to look at a story today, if you have your Bible, in John chapter 1, that's going to help us as a church to stay on point and to stay on purpose 
as it relates to sharing Jesus relentlessly. We preach from the Bible. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. My name's Colby. Um, we preach from God's Word. If you have a Bible, great, bring it. If you have a paper Bible, even better, so you can take notes, you can write in the margins, do whatever. It's okay to write in your Bible. You just can't like delete stuff from your Bible, but you can write in it. Or your version app, right? Get that out and take notes and follow along. Or if you don't have one, we got some Bibles. The ushers will be happy to get you one. You can just take that with you. But John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, is going to help us understand why pointing people to Jesus is paramount. Why it's such an important part of what we do here in this church. It says this, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. Now, there's there's two Johns here, so I don't want to get confused. First, the John who wrote the Gospel of John, right? He was uh, known as the beloved disciple. He was, you know, uh, 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 one of the, the apostles. And then there's John the Baptist, who he's writing about. John the Baptist was actually the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist would be kind of like a, an Old Testament prophet. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate a bunch of weird stuff. And he preached this message to people that he said, you know, repent of your sins and get baptized. And so he had a following of his own. John the Baptist had this platform. He had this growing influence where he was. And people were coming all over. They would listen to him. They would follow him. They would get baptized until, watch this, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, John goes, look, he yells it, there's an exclamation point, there's the Lamb of God. And John does something in this moment that is legendary, that you and I as a church, we should take our cue from. He says this, he says, take your eyes off of me and look at him. Take your eyes off, even if this platform that I'm creating, it all has to do with him and all of a sudden Jesus walks by and he says, Stop, there is the Messiah. Now, whether you realize it or not, this is what we do as a church. Like, we are not called to elevate the name of this church, we are called to elevate the name of Jesus. This is not about building our church. Yes, we're excited about what God's doing in and through this church, that's awesome, but we're more excited about Jesus, who he is, and what he means to your life. And John the Baptist sees Jesus come on on the scene and he fades into the background. And he says, everybody look at him. Stop looking at me, look at him. That's the Lamb of God. He's the one that can save you. And then watch this in verse 37. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So John pretty much gives up this platform that he has, this influence that he has, and he points people to Jesus, and that's really the driving force behind this church, so that in every community, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you find yourself, we wanna make it really hard for people to pay for their own sins because we've done everything we can to point them to the Savior who's already paid for them. Like, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The hell is not the place where you go because God's mad at you. It's not like, hey, I don't like you, you're going to hell. That's not what hell is. Hell is the place where people go to pay for their own own sins, which is a tragedy because they've already been paid for in Jesus. And we wanna make it really hard for the people in our circles of influence to, to pay for their own sins because Jesus has already paid for them. And the only way we can do that 
is when we ourselves follow Jesus. When we ourselves do our best to become more and more like Christ. I'm all for seeing people saved. I love that. I love it when people cross a line of faith, give their life to follow Jesus. They recognize all that he's done in their life. And for some of you, that's going to happen today. You're going to understand who Jesus is and what he means to you. But that's just, that's just the beginning. Like, that's great. But this church is not just about evangelism. We're also about discipleship. We need you to become a follower of Christ. So when John points to Jesus and he says, that's the guy, two of his disciples take off and start to follow Jesus. Now, the question is, why did they do that? Like, why would they do that? They're, they're following John. John has this message. He has this platform. Repent of your sins. Get baptized. Why would they pick up and follow Jesus? Here's why. If you want to write it down, it won't be up here. But the word is relationship equity. Equity. You know what equity is when you, the value that you hold in something, the, the, the value, the worth that you carry in something. John had relationship equity with these guys. John said, you know me. We've been doing life together. You can trust me. I would never lead you down a wrong path. I'm not gonna lie to you, right? I'm not the Messiah. He is. Don't follow me. Follow him, that guy right there. And because John had a relationship with these disciples, two of these guys, one is named Andrew, the other one we don't know what his name is, they trusted John enough to take him at his word. And this is what the message is about that you and I are called to leverage the relationship equity we have with the people that we know, the people that, that we love and point them to Jesus. And if they know you and trust you, they, they will take you at your word. And it might take a while. It might take three, four, five invitations. It might take a while. It might take years of investing in their, their life. But when you and I leverage the relationship equity that we have with people we live with and do business with or in our, our families and work with, they will start following Jesus because they see you following him. They see you pointing them to him. Look at verse 38. Jesus looked around and he saw them following and he asked them, what do you want? Like, what do you want? I always think this is, this is funny. Let me give you a little bit of context, especially if you're not, you know, from a church background, you haven't been to church in a while. Uh, a lot of times there were these rabbis, and these rabbis were master teachers, you know, of religion. Uh, they, they, they had oftentimes the entire Old Testament memorized. These guys, they were just, they were masters, and they had apprentices, they had understudies, people following them. And there was this saying in, the, in Judaism that, that you wanted to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning that you followed him so closely that you emulated what he did. You were just right up on him all the time, learning from him, studying under him, that every time he took a step and dust came up, that that dust would cover you, that that's how closely you would be following him. So this is what's going on. These two guys turn and they follow Jesus and he looks back and he says, so what do you guys want? Like, why are you guys following me? What is it that you need? And I want this church to continually be a place where people who need something can come and not, not fake it. Like, where, where broken people can be real, that you can come as you are, and God loves you enough not to let you stay that way. I want us to be a church that understands that even in our imperfections, 
right? Because none of us are perfect. We can worship a perfect and holy God that Jesus knows that you have needs, that he knows that you, you have things in your life. Today, you came in this room, and some of you, you might have some incredible needs. Let me just tell you something. Let me reassure you. God knows what they are. He knows that you have needs. In fact, most of you know we're adding a new addition to our family. It's coming in, in January. My fourth child, all right? It's crazy. That's crazy right there. I know. That's okay. You know why you're clapping? Because my house is about to be, I don't even know. Probably won't be your pastor for that much longer, but that's fine. Like my fourth, you know, arrow to the quiver kind of thing. But that baby is going to have needs, right? Like that baby can't do anything on their own. And that's not going to surprise me. That ba- the only thing that baby can do on its own is poop. That's it. But that baby's going to need changed. It's going to need fed. It's going to need watered like it's a plant or a pet. It's going to need things. And that doesn't surprise me. I want you to know that God is not surprised by your needs, that God knows every single one of you in this room and he knows the needs that you have that doesn't surprise him. He's not surprised when things don't work out the way you thought they were gonna work out. He's not surprised when you fall into a sin pattern or addictions in your life. He's not surprised that you're working through some some marital relationship or, or some struggles with anger. He's not surprised. So for us, when we hear that and Jesus says, what is it that you want? I want you to hear this morning, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? Or what is it that the city needs? What is it that Harbor Creek needs or, or Edinburgh or Meadville? What is it that they, they need? Because we have a responsibility as a church to provide for people the things that God has provided. We're that vehicle that provides what God has provided. Verse 38, they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. So Jesus says, hey, what do you want? Then they say, we just want to know where you're staying. Like, where's, where's your house? And then I love this in verse 39. He says, come and see. That's loaded. That's huge. That's all he says, come and see. See, these two guys, John says, that's the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. You guys need to follow him And Jesus says, come and see. They think they're going to Jesus' house for maybe a meal, maybe a a teaching. You know, maybe he's going to deliver or impart some wisdom on them. They have no idea that, that, that the conversation they're about to have, that the time spent with this man that they've never met, that they're about to walk into, is going to change their lives. And they will never be the same because Jesus isn't just going to teach them, he's going to transform them. And this city doesn't just need good teaching, it needs transformation. The people in your work, the people in your school, your family, they don't need someone just to point out and preach at them from the Bible. They need to have an encounter with the living God who penned it. When the the word of God is opened up in their lives and it changes them and it transforms them and they're different because of it. That's what we need. So they want to go to his, they want to see his house. And I love this. Jesus has nothing to hide, right? He says, come and see. Like, I'll show you. I'll show you. And it's really just that easy. It's when we explain something and then when they experience it. This is how we share 
Jesus in our community is not scary. It doesn't have to be weird. You don't, don't have to be freaky about it. Like we explain the gospel and then we invite them to experience it. Explanation and experience it. Explanation when we use our mouths and we tell someone the good news, what Jesus has done, and then we grab them by the arm and then we invite them to experience that thing that we've explained. An explanation is a good place to start, but an explanation will never replace a personal experience, a personal encounter. Verse 39, he says, come and see. He said it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. So these two guys move from John the Baptist. They go to follow Jesus. He's the Messiah, changes their, their life. They stay with him for the rest of the day. And then look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So we only know one of their names, and we know he's Andrew. Now this is important, that we only know his name. We don't know the second guy's name, but we do know the third disciple's name. Because Andrew had a brother. His brother's name was Simon. And Andrew, after spending the day, after having this encounter, after having this experience with Jesus, immediately immediately wants to go and do something with it. Immediately has this impulse that he has to address it. In verse 41, Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is evangelism. This is as easy as it gets. Andrew finds Jesus. He experiences Jesus, has an encounter with him, and immediately says, hey, I have a brother and my brother needs to experience the same thing that I've experienced. And he goes and tells his brother so he can find Jesus too. He points his brother to Jesus. He points his brother to something that he's loved and experienced. Let me, let me put it this way. I love, I love me some hot wings. Amen. We got anybody that loves some hot wings? I, just, I don't know why. The hotter the better. All right. That's the way I feel. The hotter the better. I love, I love Jesus, I love my family, I love all that too, so I just gotta make that clear. Somebody's like, I don't know, whatever. Um, but I love me some hot wings. And if I find the place in the area that has the best hot wings, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you about it. If I love you, and I care about you, and I care about sharing what I love with you, I'm going to tell you. I'm gonna say, hey, you gotta try these hot wings. These hot wings are the best things you ever put in your mouth. These hot wings, they can cure diabetes. These hot wings can power a small nation, right? These hot wings are that good. You gotta come and try. If you find something that you love, you tell the people that you love about it. You can't help it. And that's what Andrew does. He's like, you know what? I've experienced this. I've had this amazing encounter. I've spent the day with Jesus. I have to tell someone about it. And that's what our job is, to point people to Jesus, and the first thing he did was to find his brother and say, I found the Messiah. Look at verse 42. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock or stone or foundation. And today, today Peter is one of the most well-known people who's ever walked the face of the earth, isn't he? In fact, many of you, if you grew up in a Catholic church, your tradition tells you that he was the first pope of the church. 
Like there's a basilica in, in Rome named after this guy. There are millions of, of kids, millions of boys who have been born that have been given this name because he's that well known. And that's great, but here's what you need to know. Before he was Peter, he was Simon. Before he made it onto the pages of this book, he was a fisherman in a small village called Capernaum, somewhere in North Israel. Before, before he, was, he was Peter, before he became the rock star of the church, like he was a brother to a guy named Andrew, and they were mending their nets, and they were fishing. They were, they were fishermen. Before he was Peter, he was a person like you and like me. And the thing that we need to catch, the thing that we need to grab a hold of that I desperately want us to see is that in our city, in our county, in our region, and beyond, there are, there are Simons everywhere waiting for you to point them to Jesus. And again, it doesn't have to be scary, but that you're just part of the process in doing it. So I wanna give you four things from this story. Four things that will help us as a church to share Jesus relentlessly. The first one is this, love where you live. Write that down, love where you live. And I'm not talking about just your house. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, your, your, your city, your school district, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I, I love where I live. I'm a, I'm a bison. My kids go to Fort LaBeouf. You got any Fort LaBeouf people? Like, I love it. I love our school district. I'm, I'm a big bison nation, that's right. I love it, but I'm not talking about that. Many of you would say that about where you live as well. I'm talking about this. Love the people, the people where you live. That's what's going on right here. Jesus is loving people right where he is. He didn't have to go overseas, right? He didn't have to buy a plane ticket. He loved people right where he was, and he loved them in his own context. He invited them to come and see. Just come and see. Come and follow. He invited them to his, his house, and they experienced him, and they left his house that day as followers. They left his house that day as disciples, I don't know how many of you remember growing up, what it was like when you were a kid and your parents said that company was coming over. Like, I hated this. When my parents said, Cole, we got company coming over, you know, we were three boys and we were just running around. When they said that, man, I cringed. I hated it because I knew that if it was company and they didn't have kids, that the whole time all my parents would be doing is sitting there and doing what? Talking. And I couldn't fathom, I couldn't understand how someone could do something so boring for so long, right? Because I'm like a kid, and I hated, I hated having to sit there and pretend, you know, and be still. Like, I don't, I don't care about, about your station wagon that has a rear-facing seat in the back of it. I don't care about that. I don't care about President Reagan. I don't care about the last episode of Dallas and who shot JR. That's how old I am, all right? I don't care about any of that. I'm like a kid. I want to go outside and build a fort. That's all I want to do. But I hated that. I hated that. But you now know that I'm 42 years old. You know what I like to do? Talk. <laughs> My boys hate it, right? They hate it. Like if we have company over and they're like, do they have kids? Do they have anybody we can play with? No, because they know we're just going to sit there and talk and talk and talk. That's what Jesus did. He invited them into his own context. He opened the doors of his house and invited 
them in. You can love people right where you live. Love the people that are around you. Because when that happens, I promise you, that's how we change a city. One life at a time. One life at a time. The second thing is this. Find friends and family first. Find friends and family first. Because that's what Andrew did, right? He had this encounter with Jesus. He's like, I gotta go tell my brother. And so he runs and he, and he points his brother to Jesus. And we should all be finding the people who we're closest to first. Now, let's, let's talk reality. Because when I say that, some of you are thinking this. This is hard. In fact, this can be one of the most difficult tasks, can't it? Because the people that we love the most know us the best. And the pushback is this. Well, what if I, you know, if I want to invite my, my friends or my family, you know, but they, they know who I was back when. They're just going to laugh in my face. They're just going to throw up my past in my face. Yep, Probably. Or you might say, well, Colby, if I invite my friends or my family, you know, they're just going to throw in my face, uh, you know, that string of words I let go last week at work. You know, or, or maybe they're going to say, you know, if I invite my friends and family, you know, to come or point them to Jesus, then they're just going to throw up in my face, you know, the stuff that I did, you know, even after I became a follower of Christ that I'm ashamed of. Isn't family fun sometimes? <laughs> I have a way of just you know, throwing that stuff back at you. But we have to invite them first. And so when that happens, when you feel that pushback and you're like, you know, I don't know if I can point them to Jesus and, you know, there's all this weirdness there and I feel like a hypocrite and all this stuff, here's what I'm asking you to do. Just own it. When they start to throw stuff in your face or, or push back, you know what, just say, you're right. You're right. I failed at that miserably, you're, you're right. In fact, there's a lot more stuff that you don't know about that I'm not gonna share with you right now. But just own it. And then say, wouldn't you love to know the same God that I know, the same God who accepts me for all that stuff in my past and what I've done, that loves me no matter my imperfections, that, that loves me despite my difficulties, wouldn't you like to come meet that same God who loves you right where you are and loves you more than to let you stay that way? Like, just own it. Invite your friends and family first and just own your past. The third thing is this, tell what you know. Tell what you know. Andrew simply says this in verse 41, we found the Messiah. That's all he said, right? Because that's all he really could say in that moment. And that's all it took. So just tell what you know. People can't argue with your story. They can't argue with what you've experienced. And I know so many people would say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to come across as a, as a, you know, a used car salesman. I'm just, you know, blowing smoke. I don't want to come across as a TV evangelist, you know, with big hair and white shoes and all that kind of stuff. Don't. Like, just tell what you know. In fact, picture this in your mind right now. When you think of, you know, your stereotypical televangelist, what are some adjectives that come to mind? Like loud, obnoxious, big hair. I don't know if that counts. Big hair. Yeah, like, like that kind of thing. Now do me a favor. Picture in your mind the person who had the most impact on you coming to know Jesus. 
What are some of the characteristics that would describe them? Nice, kind, gentle, loving, patient. I'm not asking you to share something that you don't know or something that's, you know, that you think is what they want to hear. Just share what you know. Tell what you know. Just be real about it. In fact, I, I think that more people are drawn to Christians who are just real about their past. Like if you struggle with alcohol, you struggle with addiction, just share that. If you still struggle with anger, you just, just share that. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm a work in progress. Just share what you know. You don't have to be professional. You don't have to be polished. And I promise you, more people would rather you just be real and raw and honest. Real people are drawn to real stories. So just share what you know. I can't even ex explain what he's doing in my life and in my heart, but I want you to invite you to come experience the same thing. Just share what you know. And then the last one is this. I'll set it up this way. I said earlier that on a good Sunday, probably about 60,000 people in our county would be in church, maybe. So here's a stat. Four out of five people that you lock eyes with, that's the person in Starbucks, that's the, the, the person checking you out at Target. That's the person, you know, at the grocery store. That's the person swiping your card at the country fair. Four out of five people don't have a relationship with Jesus. Four out of five people that you lock eyes with. Here's another stat. 95% of all Christians, people who are followers, don't ever fish. 95% of, of Christians never lead another person to faith in Christ, and that's, this is across America, this stat. But here's the one that breaks my heart, 90% never try. 90% never point people to the Savior that saved them, 90%. And there's this call on our lives. We have this responsibility to share Jesus Relentlessly, And that's what history says, 90%. But we're not trying to recreate history. We're trying to make history. Like we will never be content as a church to, to be satisfied with our past successes. Not when there's 230,000 people in this county that don't have a relationship with Jesus. So here's the last one if you want to write this down. Be urgent in your obedience but patient in the process. Be urgent when God lays someone on your heart that you know you need to point them to Jesus. And again, you just be real. Just share what you know. Maybe someone that you're not. When God lays that on your heart, like don't delay in that. Craig Rochelle, he says this, delayed obedience is, is disobedience. Doesn't matter if you delay it, it's still disobedient. Like don't delay in that, be obedient. And if they resist, if they push back, and a lot of times they, they will, don't sweat it. Because eventually, eventually, they will come around. How do you know that, Colby? How can you say that if I'm, you know, patient in this process, that eventually they'll come around? Here's how I know, and here's how many of you in this room know for yourselves. Nothing in this world works. 
Nothing in this world will ever satisfy you. Like you can, you can try to live a life apart from God, but ultimately every single time it leads to misery. Every time. So just be patient. Just be patient. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're not ready to receive that, but you just point them to Jesus and you be patient in the process. Maybe they're not miserable yet. Well, hang on, they will be miserable one day, right? Why do I say that? Because life stinks sometimes. It stinks. The only difference is for those of you that know Christ, he's given you this peace in the middle of it that you have someone now you can run to in the middle of this life. And if you've been saved by Jesus, you're supposed to do everything you can to point people to the same Jesus who saved you. And you don't have to feel like it's all on your shoulders. Like you gotta close this deal. Like, like you know, this is some you know, seal the deal kind of thing, bringing people to Jesus. In fact, the reality is, and this should free up most of you in this room, you're just part of the process. Like it doesn't all rely on you. Look at this last verse, 1 Corinthians 3. says this, my work was to plant the seed. Like that was, that was your job just to simply sow some seeds, to put it out there, to plant the seed in your hearts. But someone else came around and watered that. His name was Apollos. He, he watered it. But it was God, not us, who made it grow in their hearts. In other words, you might have planted the seed. Someone else came along later on and watered it by pointing that same person to Jesus. Or maybe someone else planted a seed and you watered it. By saying, oh, yeah, 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 he's done that for me too. Let me tell you about it. But ultimately, it's God who draws people to him and allows it to grow in their hearts. You just, you're just a gardener. You just plant that seed. Just part of the process. Be patient in the process. Here's what I want us to do. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, I want us to commit to right now, just creating some space to ask God, God, who is it in my life that's far from you that needs to hear about the good news that, that, that you died for them because you died for me. You saved me. You've given me a hope and a future. You've given me purpose. You've rescued me from my past, that you're not counting my sins against me any more than my eternity is secure with you. I gotta share that got to share that. And I pray that right now as every head bowed and every eyes closed that God is putting people on your mind that you know are far from him. You would impress upon your heart this, this desire because if you cross that line of faith now embedded in your spiritual DNA is this desire to point the people to the same God who saved you who rescued you, and you can't run from it. You can't get away from this. Cover to cover, God's word tells us this is now a mandate on our lives, that we are to go throughout the world and tell people the good news. And here's the thing, just tell them what you know. Just share what you know. Just know that you're part of the process, that you could just be casting a seed and pointing them 
to Jesus. Someone else might water that. Ultimately, God is gonna bring it to life in their heart. And while we're praying with every head bowed, every eyes closed, maybe today you're the person that the seed has been sown in your life. And God wants to bring that into life. Maybe you're the person that's been far from God. Maybe you're one of the 230,000 in our community, in our county, that God so loved that he sent his son to die for you. And today you wanna receive that, that payment for your sins. So you don't have to pay for him anymore. That Jesus so loved you right where you are, just as you are. And the way you enter a relationship with him is through prayer. Pray this with me and pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. Dear Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and giving me a, a new life in Christ. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to new life in Christ. And from this moment on, I choose to follow you with everything that I have, and I'm gonna do my best to follow you so close that the dust of your feet will cover me, and everyone will know because of transformation in my life, I'm a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.